This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Let's go. It's 5 to 11 already. You ready? Let's turn it on. Let's get going. Last week, did you ever put up that fish here? I don't know if it ever went up. No, it crashed. When did it crash? It crashed while they're uploading it. The website was up. But it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't make it to the Wednesday sh- uh, radio station. It's there now? It's yeah. up? Yeah, it's there. Yeah, didn't want it up. Okay, so we, we're on, on everything? Everything's on? Okay, so um, we're not going to talk about the election because the, the hearts of kings are in the, in the hands of God anyway. So the one you think is bad could be good. Is that good for us in the world? He's doing what he wants. I have a thought. And the thought is that there's a medrash, very clear medrash that says that the last war for Mashiach will be between Yishmael and Esau. Yishmael is the Arabs, right? And Esau is America. There's no way that if, the, if, if things stay the way it is, there'll be a war because they give them whatever they want. But he could talk be a war between Esau and, and Yishmael. And I hate to tell you, but the Medjah says that Yishmael is going to win. And for 12 months, the world will be under their control. And then Mashiach is going to come. Straight up clear. Clear match, clear as layer. So I'm thinking to myself, that the only way that that could happen is if he wins. Because he won't put up with anything. They, Obama and this cover, they put up with everything, they'll give him whatever they want. Who knows? Uh, who knows that Hashem wants here? Nobody knows. And it happens during the precious hour. Lech get out of here. Lech and this is Yishmael's bris this week. For sure. Lech l'cha me'az kum l'azum be'ezer ha'sha'erecha. This week's parasha. Lech l'cha me'az. This week is the election. And this week's parasha is Lech l'cha me'az from your land. Ulad l'cha from where you were born. You're an American. Get out of Brooklyn and go to Eretz Yisrael. It's this week's parasha. And Yishmael, his bris was this week. Stuff's happening. I don't know what's happening. Well, stuff is happening. We love you, Hashem. And we know you're going to take care of us no matter what happens. And that's all. Hold on to him. Hold on to him tight. Hashem Send him all your stuff. And he'll carry you. And confident to show him. Don't worry. There's nothing to worry about. Just stay close to dad, to Tati. All right. So, you know, a lot of people badmouth God. And I deal with this all the time. You know, I don't believe in Hashem. Um... Uh, I spoke last week by the grill shit, I don't think it was by the boar share, how, how when it comes to you, Hashem takes this whole Torah and puts it aside. I don't think it was here, I spoke to you about it, I spoke last year to, about, to, the, to the girls. I was, I was dealing with a very heavy situation, um, very heavy situation, and um, oh, it was crazy. Um, the, 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 the girl is like totally doesn't believe, or does believe a little bit, but like Hashem is like, you know, just, just this, this punishing God and she, you know, that whole, that whole thought and that she said to me, she, she came to my office and she said to me, she's totally off the derrick and she said, God's, maybe there is a God rabbi, but he's like a human being. If you do what he wants you to do, he likes you. If you don't do what he wants you to do, he don't like you. So he's just like, he's just like, Hashem is just like any person. You do what the person wants, they like you. And they reward you. 
so then he's, he's just like me, she said. She, he's just like, ah, oh, it's a big deal. Why should I serve him? He's like a human being. I said, really? You really, you really believe that? She goes, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you good? You listen to the Torah mitzvahs? You good? You're not good? Whack! So he's just like any human being. So that's what she gets. Her mother, her parents, totally missed the boat. I'll tell you why. So this kid, this kid that I'm dealing with, right, is going for very, this girl is going for a very, very, very hard time. Has, has hospitalizations and, 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 and self-mutilations and, 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 um, eating disorders and all kinds of stuff. She's going through a very, very, very hard time. And she's a chayla. And I was trying to tell the parents that she's a chayla. She's sick. I, I'm much more scared of Yom Kippur than she is. If you go to a hospital because you have mental situations and you're depressed and you're cutting yourself and you're self, you're self-mutilating and you're trying to kill yourself, you're considered a chayla. And a chayla is not chayv in Torah mitzvahs. So she's not even chayv in Torah mitzvahs. I am. I think I'm in bigger trouble. So, so she wasn't wearing stockings. So you're freaking out. Like, hello, that you went to shul. You should be making a party of simcha. So that you came to shul. What are you, you know, like, what, what, focusing on the wrong things. But anyway, so, so I sat with this girl alone. And I said to her, listen to me. Let me tell you two things about God. One is in this week's parasha. And one, you just need to know. I said, God is the most powerful. He created us. He gave us a Torah. And he said the following. I am God. And I created you. But. And you have to eat kosher. And you have to do all the 613 minutes. But. If your life is in danger. You don't have to keep anything. That's a big thing. No. Actually, you're supposed to give your life for the big three, but if you don't, you're an oines, you're putter. You have my whole dvat there on the, on the midterm. So really, all 613. So listen to me very carefully. If you have a pregnant girl, pregnant woman, she's walks by a Wendy's, Burger King, and she smells the grill, and she smells the cheeseburger. And she says, I need to have that. Right? Because what, what do pregnant women have? And all of a sudden they wake up in the middle of the night, they want chocolate. Cravings. Right? Cravings. cravings. And if they have a craving, Mr. Shem, you get married, she'll get pregnant, she'll, two o'clock she'll shake you and say, I need to have chocolate ice cream right now. And you're like, what? Where? Goldbrooks is open 24 hours in Borough Park. You get into, you get dressed, you get into your car. You drive to Goldberg's, you buy the ice cream, you come back, no, I don't want ice cream, I want fiddle faddle, Car- caramel popcorn. You don't want chocolate ice cream? Nah, I don't want chocolate ice cream. She has just, you have to get her cravings, because it's dangerous to the baby. If, someone, if a woman has a craving and you don't give it to her, it's dangerous to the baby. So the halacha is, that if a woman who's pregnant, a Jewish woman, says... I must have a cheeseburger. I am, I don't feel well and I have a craving and you must buy this to me. Allah is, you must buy it for her. If she's walking by the base Hamigdash and she's a Yisrael, like you, and if you eat Kaddish Kaddash, Michai Misa, and she's walking by the base Hamigdash with her husband and the Kahanama of Kaddish Kaddash and they're, they're, they're broiling, uh, they're roasting lamb and she's like, oh, wow, lamb, I must have a piece of lamb. Allah is Kaddish Kedoshim. The only Kaddish Kedoshim. You have to give it to her. Why? 
I'm telling you to this girl. Why? Shema Tipol. Maybe if you don't give it to her, she's going to have a miscarriage. It's not a danger to her. She's not dying because she doesn't have the lamb chop. But she might miscarry the child. So Shem says, I said to this girl, I said, Shem, listen to me very carefully. This big God, who only cares if you do things right, says, if you're pregnant and you have a craving for something not kosher, or you have a craving for kachi kadoshim, I don't count anymore. My Torah, shh, nothing. You come first. I said, there's a Mishnah. And I've said this Mishnah many times, but I told it to her. A house caves in. You don't know if there was anyone in the house. You don't know if the person in the house is Jewish. You don't know if the person's dead or alive. Because if they're dead, you can't be Mechal Shabbos. And it's Shabbos. You go and get yourself a tractor and drive that tractor and get that pile of stones off and make sure there's nobody in the house. Sveik, Sveik, Sveika. There are three things we're not sure about. Is there somebody in there altogether? Nobody called Hatzalah. We don't know if there's anyone in there. We don't know if they're Jewish, not whatever, they're Jewish or not Jewish. We don't know who they are. We don't even know if they're dead or alive. If you start taking off the stones and they're dead, you have to stop. So after Shabbos. We don't know if they're dead or alive. Hashem says, I said to her, you count so much that maybe there's a person, maybe they're Jewish, maybe they're alive. Machal Shabbos, Shabbos, Skila, Shabbos, Kares. No Skila, no Kares. Go and be Machal Shabbos. I said, when a person's life is in danger, Hashem says, as big as I am, and as important as my Torah is, you are more important. I said, Shefullah, you are more important than God. If your life is in danger, how can you tell me that all he cares about is his Torah? If he's willing to forget about his Torah, that you should be okay. I said, there are Hatzalah calls. It's not life in danger. It's a cut. And a cut become an infection. And an infection can go into your heart. So you have a heter to drive on Chavez, take it to the hospital, because maybe you'll end up I said, the whole Hatzalah is based on that God says, you are more important than me. I said, how could you say what you say? You don't understand that. And the mother's like, really? I'm like, what, you didn't learn in like, hello? I'm telling you something new? There's something new I'm telling you? You think God doesn't care about you? He says, my whole Torah, Harsinai, was created before the world. It's the blueprint of the world. It means nothing. If your life is in danger, it means nothing. So there's no other religion like this. It doesn't exist. And then I took out the Chumash. I said, so you're going through hard times and you think God is not holding your hand? She goes, God doesn't hold anyone's hand. I'm like, really? Did you learn Rashi? In Pasha Lechacha? She goes, no. Well, maybe I did, but I don't remember. God never held anybody's hand. Really, he never held anyone's hand. You think it's a Christian thing with the footsteps in the sand, right? It's not. It's not. It's way before them. I said, Neudigarashi. My favorite Rashi. One of my favorite Rashi's in the whole Torah. It's a teeny little Rashi and nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. Every rabbi should get up to Shabbos and talk about it. It says the following. 
In Patzachov Dalad, Avram ben Tishim Tisha Shana, Avram was 99 years old. Behimoyloi b'sar olasai. When the 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 b'sar olaso, his arla, right, the foreskin was circumcised. Not when he circumcised it, but it was circumcised. What does that mean? Was it when he circumcised it? Zok Rashi, listen carefully. Not the Avram Sakin, teeny little Rashi. Avram took a knife. And he held on to the foreskin. And he had to cut it, right? He wanted to cut it. Avraham Avinu was scared. It's pretty scary to give yourself a brismila, right? Because he was old. His hands were shaking. So Hashem said like this, Avraham Avinu, give yourself a bris. And now he sees Abraham, this big tzaddik, and he's trying to give himself a bris, but he's scared. I'm old, I'm shaking. Can't do it. Ramavino. So what does Hashem say? Too bad? You gotta give yourself a bris milah? You're old? That's too bad. I told you to do it. No. Now you would think. What do you do? Shalach yodoy, whatever that means. Hashem sent down his hand. And he held on to the knife together with Avram Avinu. Shinema, we say it every day, the Chorois, Imo Habris. And he circumcised with him. Who's the with him? With Hashem. Of course, Imo Habris. Lo Nema Ella Imo. Rashish Rabba. He says specifically, Imo. So I said to her, when Hashem sees your hands are shaking, when Hashem sees, Hashem, I just can't do it. Avram said, I just, I just can't do it. I'm too old. I can't do it. So Avram, Hashem said, too bad. I told you to do it. I'm God. Do it. Is that what you think? That's, that's what you think Hashem is? So I gave you one proof that you're more important than him, that God lets everything go away, that you're much more important than him. He's whole time he puts aside. I said, I'll tell you something. When you're suffering... God sends his hand down and, he, and it's very important. It's a very important Rashi. And, and this is what I tried to say on Tishabov, but maybe it didn't come out clearly, so they wiped me across, across Facebook, across the world. Very specifically, Hashem said, I am not. Why does Hashem give him the bris? Give him the bris. If Hashem gave him the bris, then it would heal immediately. He wouldn't have been sick for three days. Why not Hashem give him the bris? Hashem will do it with you. If you don't want to lend a hand, He will not help you. You have to have to do it together with God. You can't just sit there and say, God, you do it for me. The Chorus Imai Habris says Rashi. He held Avram's hand and said, let's do this together. Not, I'm going to do it for you. That's not the way Hashem works. You have to do what you can. You're Ishtadlus. So he said to Avraham Avinu, I'm not giving you a bris. I could give you a bris. I'm not giving you a bris. But I'm going to hold your hand and your hand will not shake if I'm holding your hand. And we'll do this together. I said, this girl, she never learned this Rashi. She's like, what? That's like amazing, Rabbi. I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. Learn. Learn Rashi. It's amazing. I said, you didn't know that your life is more important than God? 
She was like, I, I never thought of it like that. I'm like, <laughs> and I told her parents, I said, her life is more important than all your mitzvahs. So stop with the with the, with the with the with the with the stockings and all that other stuff. She's not well. She's a chayla. We have a bigger din than she does. And and I told her, I said, I know that you're going through hard times, and you're shaking. You have Ramavinu. You're like, I can't do it. Ramavinu said, I can't do it. I can't do this, Hashem. I can't do it. Hashem said, Do a brisket. I can't do it. I can't do it. My hands are shaking. I'm old man. I can't do it. Hashem said, You could do it. You could do it with me together. Such a, it's such a lesson if every rabbi would get up in his shul and tell his people, you don't, there's nothing that you can't do if Hashem's not holding your hand, but you, you gotta put your hand out there. You gotta tell Hashem, I can't do it. I'm from said, I can't do it. Who knows, who knows that God held onto someone's hand? He spoke to Moshe Pelpe, and he held Avram Avinu's hand. Avram was a big man, Avram couldn't do it. I said to her, I said, Avram couldn't do it, because he was scared that he was shaking. So there's nothing wrong with being scared. Abraham was bigger than you and me will ever be. He was scared. He turned to Hashem, I can't do it. Now, the Plos HaTayra, my favorite new Zephyr, he's got a different story. So I want to read to you from inside how he talks about this bris. And it starts with a Chidah. And he says the following. The Chidah in the Sefer Midbar Kidma says, a Medrash Nifla. Abraham Avinu was scared that's Rashi he was scared to do bris meal on himself and a scorpion came and it bit him it bit off his Arla the scorpion what does it mean what part of the day is Be'etzem stands for with the biting of a of a scorpion, the tzaddik was circumcised. Hello? So a scorpion did the bris. Now, but he brings out a Yalkut Shimoni and says something else. And this, I guess, where Rashi gets. Because he my bris, Avram was scared to do a bris milah. He sent his hand. He held on to it with him. And Avram cut. Shnema v'koris moser b'zu Rashi says Shahaya kash b'chu oiches imay v'avram chaytech. Okay, so one says a scorpion did it, and the other one says Hashem did it together with him. V'das shlishis matzasim b'zu pikei de Rabbi Elazar, and the pikei de Rabbi Elazar says sheshem ben Noach. Right, Noach had a son named Shem. Shem coming yavas molas Avram Avinu v'sishmol b'no. That Shem did the bris mila. Shem gave him the bris mila. So you have three different thoughts. Scorpion, shame, and Hashem together with Avram. Rashi holds Hashem together with Avram. So he says, how could that be? They're all comp- If the scorpion did it, then God didn't do it. If God didn't do it, the scorpion didn't do it. If God didn't do it, and the scorpion didn't do it. If shame did it, then they didn't do it. Some- who did it? Right? Who did it? You have three things. Who did it? He says, all three of them. All three of them did it. How could that be? They're not contradicting. That we know the Gemara says in Yavamas that Priya, right, there's Mila and there's Priya. Priya was not given to Avram Avinu, just Mila as a mitzvah. But we know that Taisus says that Avram Avinu kept the mitzvah of Priya just like he kept the mitzvah of Eruvay Tavshilin. He says like this. This is how the Bris Mila went, how it went down by Avram Avinu. 
Mitchil Ochel Hakadosh Baruch Hu Yadish Avram. First, Hashem held Avram's hand, Bechotcha Yachad, and he, they they did it together. As Or Hamila, Achakach Ba Akra Ba Oksu. Then after the Mila, right? So they had to do Priya. So when the when the scorpion bit, um, that must have hurt um, Avram Avinu, right? So he did the Priya. And who did the Metzitza? Scorpion didn't do the Metzitza. Hashem didn't do the Metzitza. Shane did the Metzitza. So all three of them were involved in the Brismila. That's what he says. Okay. Um, who was the Sandik? So he brings down Mamre was the Sandik by the Briz. But it also said that, that Zomachlaikas because Mamre actually died before the bris. Um, so he asked Akash on that. In the end he says, Hashem was the Sandik. Because Hashem held on to the hand of Aramabino by the Milah. And that makes him the Sandik. I was a Sandik. Um, I was a Sandik on a 48 year old Russian man who had a bris Milah. Now when you're a Sandik, um, when you're a sandik, you usually have the baby on your lap, but you can't have a 46-year-old man on your lap, 48-year-old man on your lap. So what you do is he's laying on a bed, and it's sort of like a surgical thing when the male does it, and all you do is you hold on to his shoulders, like underneath his shoulders, that's all. That's considered a sandik. So here Hashem held on to Avraham Avinu's hand. So Avraham was considered a sandik. But the point that I want to make from here, and then we'll go to the beginning of the Pasha, the point that I want to make from here is... There's nothing wrong with being scared. There's nothing wrong with being scared. Avraham Avinu was scared. And there's nothing wrong with asking Hashem for help. And there's an understanding that if you're scared, Hashem will, will help you. And this is what happened by Rashi. Marish held his hand. I said to her, come on. God held his hand. God didn't think he's so big. I told you to do it. What are you worried about? If I told you to do it, you have to do it. Right? If not, you have to cut yourself. Do it. Do it. I don't care if your hands are shaking. She said, okay. I'm going to come. Shalach Hashem sent out his hand. And he held on to Avram Avinu's hand. And they did it together. So she left my office very different than she when she came in my office. She had an understanding that God puts you before him. He really does. Kippur. Kippur, eat. Eat. If you, if, if, you, if you can't eat. How many people... My, my, my Rebbe, Rebbe Gamliel, is, he, he takes a lot of medicine for his heart. He has to take it on Yom Kippur. He has to swallow this medicine on Yom Kippur. He has a lot of pills for his heart. He doesn't want open heart surgery. And he, he takes a lot, a lot of medicine. So when, he, when, first, when the doctor told him, he said, Yom Kippur, I'm not taking it. I'm not taking Yom Kippur. I'm not being Mechal Yom Kippur. And his Rebbe told him that uh, Rabbi Zindel Kreuzer, Oliver Shalom, told him it's a bigger mitzvah to, to be Mechal Yom Kippur and take your medicine then it is to fast on Yom Kippur because the biggest myth is B'chai Bahem. So, so it, it, it's not that you're Oivri on Yom Kippur, just the opposite. If you don't take your medicine, you're Oivri on Yom Kippur. So, so to Hashem, even taking medicine on Yom Kippur, we have to drink, right? It's like, Yom Kippur is not, this is more, you're more important. It's a pill. That's medicine you have to take, you take it. You're diabetic, you have to take your stuff, you take your stuff. Life, a person's life, 
God steps aside for. So, so you know, and, and, and it's funny because some people don't. A lot of kids have tainas that you don't love me. My parents don't love me. They only love me. They don't love me. They love that they have a child that keeps, that learns Torah, Davins, and keeps the mitzvahs. And their proof to it is that when they go off to Derech, the parents throw them out. So if you love me, what's the difference if I'm learning or not? You love me. Because Mashra, you don't love me. You love the mitzvahs and the Torah more than you love me. And the answer is no. God loves you more than the mitzvahs and the Torah. Because he pushes everything away for your life, that you should live, that you should be okay. Even, even, uh, oh, the Mishabura passes, I believe, Koyev Shinayim, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but the Koyev Shinayim, if you have a toothache, since it makes you crazy, your whole body crazy, that you're allowed to take medicine on, on Shabbos, I believe, for a toothache. Machal Shabbos, right? Refuel Shabbos, Machal Shabbos, for a toothache. And that's the God, that's the God that only likes you when you do the right thing, I'm like, that's crazy. She walked out of there. She was like, I, I never thought of it that way. And, and, and we, everyone who's listening, you need to think of that. Your life, your life to God is more important than everything in the world. Even if Torah. Except for the three cardinal sins. And even there, if it's an Aynas, Shulchan Aruch says you're not Machayev. You should do it. If you didn't do it, it's an Aynas. So you should walk around like, like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Hashem like loves me more than his own Torah. It's like a badge of courage. So I told her that and I told her that Rashi. Now Rashi is amazing. He held on to his hands. I said to her, don't feel bad that sometimes you feel like you're scared. You can't do something. Rashi straight up says Avraham Avinu was scared. He couldn't do it. Avraham Avinu, we're not even a pimple. He was scared. And Hashem said, I hear you. And I hear you. And I'm going to help you. Very important out there, whoever's listening, to have that in Muna. Okay. Let us go. You have, you have a piece, you have a piece of paper there? You writing notes? Could you bring me two pieces of paper if you have, if you could rip it out? We'll do a little graph today, a little graph. We're gonna get a little graphic. Not graphic, we do a little graph. So if you're not watching this year, you're just listening to this year, you'll have to imagine it. Alright, end the Pasha's Noah. We speak about this every single year because it's just a fantastic line. And everybody knows the story. Thank you very much. I have a pen, pen I have. So, um, so at the end of Pasha's Noach, it says a little teeny pasik. It doesn't really tell us the story. But yet to eat them, they left me or Kazdum. And Or Kazdum has a 20 page medrash. And that, or, why was it called Or Kazdum? Because it was an oven. The whole town was an oven. It was a fire that was built by Nimrod to burn Avram Avinu in public. So everyone should know that Nimrod is the king. Terach was Nimrod's number one man. Terach had the Abba Dezor story that he gave the stick to the big one and he broke all the other idols he told his father that the big one broke everyone else's idols and his father said that's impossible idols don't can't move can't do anything he said oh you said it yourself and um, that's it and then he said I'm going to go look for God I think he was 48 years old and he went looking for God and he thought it was the sun because you can't look into the sun right you have to look away then it was the moon Kai the moon and the moon then it was fire then the water put out the fire then the cow drank the water 
then the man ate the cow, and the, the, the person died. He said, this can't be, you none of you are God. There's only one God, and he became mono, right, that he believed in one God, and he started to preach it, and that was against, of course, Nimrod and all his gods, and his father. His father had an avoid dessert store. You know an avoid dessert store? Like, you know, today, what would be like an avoid dessert store? An apple store. Right? He had an apple store. I7s, I8s, you know, iPads. And guess what? They can't do anything either. Right? So, anyway, so he, he came to this conclusion, and of course, Nimrod said, we gotta get rid of this kid. This kid's preaching one God. I'm, I'm the God. I'm the God. I'm supposed to be the God, whatever it is. So they created this crazy furnace that they're gonna burn him in public. The whole world would see that you don't go against Nimrod. And of course, they couldn't get near the fire. The soldiers tried to get near the fire to put Abram in the fire. They all burnt like a mile away. They all died. So he didn't know what to do with Nimrod. So he, he created a catapult and he shot Abram Avinu with the catapult into the into the kitchen of Aish. And he landed in. Of course, we all know that nothing happened to him. Then his brother jumped and he died. And that was his first Nisayon. It was a very big Nisayon. And the Torah doesn't say one word about it. This would be a great, Bereshit is full of stories, right? This would have been an amazing story. It would have been at least, okay, maybe they don't want us to read so many Pesukim. I don't know. But no, truthfully, why isn't it in the Torah? That's like an amazing story. The first, the first test of Ramavino is not mentioned. Or Kazdom. So just only Chumash. I don't think Rashi even says anything. No, I don't believe them. No. Some say it wasn't part of the test. No, it was a big test. So. No, but it was a big test that he sat there, and it was a big test. It was a test. I forgot that, that he knew that it was a, a nace that it came from Hashem. It was. It was. A, it was. One, it is one. It's counted as one of his ten tests. Kishon of Nash. He was rewarded with it. He was rewarded for it. He had a big reward. I forgot what it was, but he had a big reward for it. Anyway, so the question is, like, that's a huge story. How come it didn't make it to you know? We need to know why this is this is this is exciting. This is this is about someone you know. So the, the the answer is that not just two answers. One, and then and then the big Nisayan, his number, the the, the hardest Nisayan was Akedas Yitzchak. You know what the second hardest one was? Lech Lecha. Let's count the number two. Now, I think being thrown into a fire and and giving a chance to accept Nimrod as the as God, and he didn't. And he gave up his life. He was willing to give up his life for Hashem. That should be bigger than lechacha. But lechacha, you have a bunch of psukim talks about leave your ladacha base of go da 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 five six psukim and or kasdim. It doesn't even say anything about it in the Torah. Why not? So the answer is two answers. One, God doesn't want us to serve Him by committing suicide. If the Torah would tell us his whole story that he was a champion that he, he, he let him throw him into a fire everybody would think that's what Hashem wants that's not what Hashem wants that's not what Hashem wants so there are two suicides not suicides but two two Nisyanists that were passed by two people that were willing to give up their lives and in the Torah it doesn't talk about either one of them Avram Avinu here by the Kishon of H who else? who else jumped in somewhere? no no Nachshayn Nachshayn jumped into the Amsuf. The water went over his nose and it split. Does it say anywhere in the Torah that Nachshayn went into the, to the ocean? Does it say anywhere in the Torah that not the water went over his nose and then it split? No. There's no mention of it. It's a medrash. There's no mention of it at all. Why? 
Because God doesn't want to preach to us that to be, to, to serve Him, you have to be ISIS and blow yourself up. And you have to give up your life. So these two times where two people put their life in danger for Hashem and were willing to give up their lives is not mentioned in the Torah. It's a madrish. What? Because it wasn't Yitzchak, it was his father. It was a test for his father. Yitzchak didn't, wasn't willing to give up his own life. He didn't go against his father, but he wasn't, he, he, he didn't commit, he wasn't committing suicide, he wasn't, I want to use the word committing suicide, but he wasn't dying. He was, he was doing what his father told him to do, and he told him, tie me down. Because I may at the last minute, like, roll away and try to run away. So, that's number one. Number two, which is an unbelievable line, to die for God takes a moment. To live for God takes a lifetime. Lech Lecha is much bigger. Hashem said, Lech Lecha, go into the world and live. It's a much bigger test. That one second and you're gone. It's over. To live for God is a struggle for life. Or whatever. It doesn't always have to be a struggle, but it's a lifetime thing. And that's what Hashem wants. So that's why He talks about, it talks about Lech Lecha. But the question is, and I gave a crazy share on this this week. I hope we'll have time. The, the, the question is, what's the test? What's the test? Hashem says to Avram, Avram, leave your country, right? Leave your birthplace. And the hardest thing is leave your family. Your country is your language. You go to a, la- a country, you don't speak a language. You feel it's very hard to make a living. It's very hard to fit in. Moladach is your friends. You have no friends. Beisavich is your family. Hashem says you have to leave everybody. And go to the land that I'll show you. But when you're going to go there, you're going to be a goy gadol, great nation. I'm going to bless you. Your name is going to be famous. You're going to have bracha. You're going to have children. You're going to be the father of the world. What kind of test is that? If I told you guys, listen, I have an offer for you. You leave New York, you're single, and the most beautiful, special girl in the whole world, your best shidduch, she's in, she's in Arizona, in Phoenix. We're going to buy you a $5 million mansion Two beautiful cars. We're putting five million dollars in your bank account. We're going to get you the most beautiful girl to be married to. Unbelievable, unbelievable Sadekusta. And you're going to be able to get a free trip to Israel for a month every year. And you're going to go to Ryan Wallace's Pesach program in Arizona. And you're going to get everything you want. You'll be like, Rebbe, give me the ticket. I'm out of here. So what's the test? If I told you, just you want you go somewhere. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. That's a big test for you to pick up. But Abraham didn't have children at this point. Hashem's like, that's what he wanted the most in the world. I mean, you small. You didn't have Yisrael yet, right? He wanted a child. That's going to be Klaizrael. So Hashem's telling him, I'm going to give him to you. Where you're going? So of course he went. So why is that a test? And if it's a test, why is it such a big test? So I'm going to explain it to you. A little bit of diagram. All right, I'm going to explain it to you. Was something that I've learned and I have seen it a thousand percent all the time. And we've spoken about this before. So, many times it's taken other people years to find out. I was, we were able to find out right away why. So, you have a kid. A parent comes to me. I have a child. She's now 16 years old. She's depressed, anxious, cutting, Boys, uh, drugs, whatever, whatever she's doing. I'm like, okay, talk to me. Let's do a little history. 
Alright. So your little girl, Chaya, tell me. First grade, okay? Yeah. Second grade, okay? Yeah. Socially healthy? Yeah. Happy kid, running around the house, laughing? Yeah. Um, how'd you do in school? What kind of, 70, 90, 95? Okay. Third grade, good? Yeah. Fourth grade, good? Yeah. Sleeps at night? Everything was good at that point? Yeah. Sixth grade, what happens? Sixth grade? All of a sudden, she came back from camp and she started staying in her room much more than before. And it was very weird. She, she, was, she, she went to camp. She wasn't a bedwetter, but now she's a bedwetter and she never had that. And I went to the doctor and he said that, you know, everything's, everything's working correctly. I don't know why that's happening. I'm like, okay, talk, keep talking. And in school, she was a 95 student. And in sixth grade, she just, she just stopped working. You know, she started failing. I'm like, okay. And since sixth grade, it's just been downhill. A little up, a little down, but mostly down. I'm like, okay, we have a graph. You can't see it on the camera. We have a graph. So we have, we have this kid. She's born. And she's going along. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. She's now here. I am not interested at all from here to here. These are all symptoms. Cutting, drugs, boys, eating disorder. I'm not interested in this here. I don't want to fix the, I'm not interested in fixing the symptom because it's going to pop out somewhere else. We get rid of the boys, she'll start doing something else. I want to know right here on my graph, sixth grade after camp. That's the disease. All of a sudden she started bedwetting, staying in her room, not being social. So the trauma, the disease, has to be right here after camp. Something happened in camp. Okay, I want to meet with your daughter. 16 and a half years old, I'm sitting with her in the room. I'm like, I don't want to know about all the stuff you're going through right now. I want to know what happened in camp. Who told you something happened in camp? My graph. How do I know this? Maybe she just decided not to, to stop working. So here's the rule. By the way, I don't want to tell you which hospital I spoke in a very big hospital where all the doctors were from the highest to the highest school. And I gave a little class because there were Jewish girls there and they didn't know how to deal with Jewish girls, whatever it is. And I told them everything's in the scriptures. Whatever you want to know is in the scriptures. And I actually talked about Lech Lecha. And they thought I would, they thought, I told them, like, what college did you go to? Where'd you get your degrees? I'm like, it's called the Mira Yeshiva Rabbinical <laughs> Theological. I told them that. College, it's in New York. It's, it's, it's learning through the Talmud. They were like, wow, he's a scholar. Okay. <laughs> until I got kicked out in 10th grade whatever I didn't tell them everything anyway so I was showing them I showed them this I was telling them so I'm saying like so so here so, so now I'm in this room with the girl I'm like listen it's between the two of us if you could tell me what happened here we can clean this up your graph is going to start going this way but your graph will not start going up I can't do anything with this. I gotta help this. So what happened in camp? And of course there was crazy abuse by, from another girl in camp. An older girl from a different bunk. 
It was sexual abuse. And she never told anybody. And I was the first person she told. And she was in therapy for a long time. I just showed her the paper. I said, I know. Well, so how do, how, Austin, how do you know this? How do you know this? And the answer is, Lech Lecha. We, as human beings, were created as creatures of an environment. Floridians don't move to Alaska. Alaskans don't move to Florida. Why? Why are you freezing in, why are you freezing in a bunch of ice? They're, they're out for two months, Alaska. For ten months, they're up there in the, in the Arctic, and they're locked in their houses. They have to dry meats and everything, and their mamas have no life. Go to Florida. Go to Florida. Are you crazy? Florida? They couldn't breathe one second of Florida. They would die. You took a Floridian, you don't have to get to Alaska. Halfway to Alaska, they're freezing. Because there, there was a guy in my, in my office yesterday. He's from Florida. He's freezing. He said, it's so cold in New York. I'm like, are you crazy? It's 62 degrees. Wait, come back here in February. Like, are you crazy? He's like, my God, I, I, I could never live here. Why? When Hashem created the world, he understood that if we all are, we all creatures of the same environment, the human beings were not spread across the world. We all live in one place. But he wanted the world to be populated. So he made people who love to live on mountains. He made people who love to live in the desert in 110 degrees. He made people who love to live by the ocean. They would not live anywhere else. Right? I was up in the mountains a few weeks ago. I was looking for another ranch. And I was way up somewhere. And there was like a house every five miles. I'm like, oh my God, aren't they scared at night? I'm like, they have no life. It's not like, it's not like here in New York at three o'clock I go to Shomer Shabbos. If I'm hungry at one o'clock and I want pizza, I can go to, uh, to Amnon's. And one thirty. Uh, Thursday night, I could go to Essex and have Cholent and, and with the rest of the guys in Kishka, right? If you live with him up in the mountains at seven o'clock, you can't have anything. He's up there in Boondocks, pizza shop in Woodridge, close at seven. You're done. Go to Shoprite and buy something frozen. You're done. I can't live where he lives, but he can because his environment is, he's a creature of that environment. He will never come back here. This is not, he'll come to visit, but this is not his environment. So, the way Hashem got the whole world, the mountains and the valleys and the cold and the hot, people live in Phoenix, Arizona. Ten months of the year, it's beautiful. Two months, I have been there, and it was 123 degrees. If you took an egg, really, you cannot touch the metal of your car. You cannot touch the metal on your car. You took an egg, it would fry. People crazy? You live at 122 degrees, and the answer is, they love it. It's their environment. That's why Hashem created us. We get comfortable in our environment, and unless there's trauma, or something pushes me out of my environment, I don't move. That's why you have Borough Park, and Williamsburg, and all these other places, where people like to live together, with people that are like them, they're used to. The only time a Floridian is going to move to Alaska is if it's his parnasa, is making a living, he has to move. And even if the, many times, many times, you can ask headhunters, if a company moves from one state to another, they don't follow. They, they're, like, they're like, I'll find a different job in Florida. I'm not going to Michigan, to Detroit. Even though the company moved their headquarters to Detroit, they're not going. Because they're used to it and they want to live there. When you have a girl who's growing up in a normal home, she's healthy, she's getting 95s, 
she's laughing and happy and all of a sudden she changes drastically somebody something pushed her out of her safe environment nobody so far in 30 years 8 years that I'm in Chinuch wakes up in the morning and says I want to be a bedwetter um, I'm doing 90s I want to, I, I, I'm checking out of school I'm not making eye contact I'm not laughing anymore I'm sleeping a lot I'm depressed nobody wakes up in the morning and says I want to cut myself I want to stop eating because as a human being in your normal environment you don't cut yourself and you don't stop eating and you don't do drugs and you don't wet your bed so something somebody took this child at that age at that point my little point over here where she was going along nicely in her environment and very safe and boom knocked her out of that environment boom and once she's out of that environment she's lost taking Alaska and telling him to live in Florida he has no idea how to live in Florida he doesn't even know what the beach the, the, the sand the sandy beach he never saw it take a Floridian trip to live in Alaska it'll never happen I was in Alaska a New Yorker can't live in Alaska we can't live in that kind of weather right take an American from New York and tell him that you should live in London where it's raining all the time you out of your mind I go to London I'm like if I see the sun I'm like wow how do you guys live here and they're like how do you live in New York and eh, eh, beep and eh, people cursing at you're crazy we can't live there so if a person from London all of a sudden in America is like what happened in London why'd you run what happened why'd you leave why are you asking him that question the answer is because he left his environment it doesn't make any sense so I have been using this and cutting talking to someone for three years just by by graphing it when did that thing happen now sometimes I'm throwing a little bit of a curveball because it didn't happen like that she was a 90 student, she was an 84 student, and slowly, very slowly, she started going down. That's much harder to find. She sort of like got nudged out of her environment. Bad friend, watching the wrong thing, something like that, but nothing huge. So, we are creatures of our environment. Along comes Hashem and tells Avram Avinu, I want you to leave your environment. Ramavina was like, what's wrong? I have a yeshiva for girls. I have a yeshiva for boys. I have the biggest Kiruv movement in the world. I have a hotel. I have people come to eat and they make brachas. There's no trauma. You're asking me to leave my environment when I'm not being pushed out of my environment? I'm very comfortable in my environment. Why would I leave my environment? You're asking me to move to Alaska? For what? I have no trauma. I'm doing well. I have a business. I have a job. Everything's amazing. So, lech lecha, me'atzecha, me'latecha, me'beisavicha, and all the people that you did and you made in Charon, leave them all for no reason. There's no trauma. That's a big test. Asher Eka, I'm just going to take you somewhere, but there's no reason I'm not giving you a reason there's no trauma nobody tried to burn him after that nobody tried to beat him just the opposite the whole world was listening to him because he was in a fire and nothing happened to him so everybody thought like whoa Abraham Avino he was, he was preaching and he had a lot of balichuvas a lot of balichuvas 
So, so for him to leave your environment for no reason, nobody hurt me, nobody pushed me, a very big test. That's a very big test to pick up and leave. And that's why Avraham Avinu, for him, this was one of the biggest tests. But in life, 100%, I, I, Baruch Hashem, it, it's never failed. We have always been able to try to pinpoint by graphing what exactly happened. You don't have a from kid whose parents are religious and keeping Shabbos and there's Cholent and there's Kogel and there's Kishka and there's Hanukkah and there's Pesach and there's Purim and there's Yom Tevim and there's trips and there's Cholomoy trips and there's Jewish concerts and there's school and wow you don't just wake up in the morning I'm an atheist every kid that comes to me I'm like nah 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 what happened no I just I just don't believe in him anymore I'm like you're talking to me. What happened? A Jewish girl or a Jewish boy that's brought up in a certain environment doesn't just get up and pop out. Something happened. It could be you were insulted, you were embarrassed, you were hit, you were molested. I don't know what happened. Something happened. Something hurt you. you don't, no one just wakes up and says, well, I'm taking my environment and I'm throwing it in the garbage and I'm going out into a street. I have no idea what the street... I'm going For me to leave a comfortable environment and go into an environment I don't even understand and it's scary, something really big had to push me to do that. You know, I travel. I, I speak places. I travel. Let me tell you something. No matter where I... Even in Alaska, and I was on this cruise, wherever I go, when I come home from Eretz Yisrael, even on my trip, right? When I come home... And I get into my bed, and I got my two pillows. I'm like, it's good to be home. What do you mean it's good to be home? You're in a beautiful hotel with waiters and this and, 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 and down blankets and down pillows. And, wow, right? You go to you know, my pillows don't look like much, right? It's, it's my environment. It's my bathroom. I know exactly where it is, even in the middle of the night. I got my drink next to my thing. I got my kitchen. It's my environment. But you were in a beautiful five-star hotel. I know it was great for five days. It was great for a week. It was great for Pesach for ten days. But, ah, it's my house. Even my car. Even my car. You have a rental car and you come home after ten days and you finish the rental car and you come and you get into your car. You get into your seat. It's your car. It's like, you drive differently. We are creatures of our environment. So it's my pillow and my blanket, no matter how old you are, and your bed. And, and I've had people that say to me, I cannot sleep in a hotel bed. No matter, no matter if it's a Sheraton or a Hilton and it's puffed and it's bluffed and it moves and all that, I, I, I need my bed. I don't sleep well. I travel, I sleep two hours, I can't, I can't, I, I need my bed. I have a friend that needs his bathroom. I'm not kidding. He doesn't go in a public bathroom, yeshiva, in shul. He, I don't want to say hold, he, he waits till he comes home. He needs his throne. He says, I need my throne. <laughs> you hear environment? Environment? I gotta go to my bathroom, my shower, my room, my bed. What, what, what are you talking about? Shower's a shower, bathroom's a bathroom. No. No, you don't understand. That's a creature of our environment. So if all of a sudden, we're not doing that, then something happens. So when a kid just all of a sudden is totally willing to go into the street and to go to a place that they're not used to and it's not their environment something really heavy happened you need to do your graph and you need to know when that child changed to 
can someone move into their room at that point? Whether something happened in camp? What? And it's not hard because once you once you're within three months, you can figure out what happened in those three months. Sometimes the kid won't talk, but you need to know that something happened at that point. And then you have the kids that, that even when they get abused and go through things, they stay in their environment. And that's the most dangerous kid. Because that's a, that they're sick inside and they're in pain inside. And by the time you find out it's the, the, the lump is out, they're already stage four. That's the hardest one. The one that acts out and changes, you could work and find out the one that doesn't act out and change. That's the one that all of a sudden tries to hurt themselves and leave the world. And that's, that's when it's very, very, very late. It's the one that doesn't step out of their environment. That you look, everything seems to be normal. And it's not. So, the, this discourse I gave in a hospital to a bunch of therapists. And I quoted the whole scriptures and why it was a test. And I did the graph for them. And um, they agree. Of course. They're, 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 we are creatures. We are we, we are. There's a different word, a certain pattern. We just, that's how we are. We have, we have, we have certain comforts and we're used to certain things. And when you see someone, de- someone deviates from it, something's going on. Hmm? Right, but this is, this is not habit. This is environment. Habit's something you do over and over. Your pillow's not a habit. It's your environment. It's what you're used to. I told someone, I said, I don't care how much money they would offer me. I would never, and, and, you know, I go to Eric Stroh, but I would never leave I'm used to, you know, Shomer Shabbos and Landau's, my Tuesday night share, my, my schools, my, my, my food, my restaurants, my groceries. Two o'clock at night, Goldberg is open. Where is that anywhere? You're not going to find that in Chicago, in Detroit. You're not going to find that in the mountains, right? You can get kosher food, anything that you want. I mean, all these, all these different things. So it's, 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 it's different. And then there are people who hate the city. You couldn't get them to live in Brooklyn if you paid them and bought them a $20 million house. Concrete. There's no grass. It's disgusting. It's polluted. It's noisy. It's filthy. It's ugh. Right. And then you have people that would never leave Brooklyn. And they have people who live in Manhattan. They live in an apartment building. They don't even have a driveway. They live in an apartment building. They spend nine, twelve million dollars. Right. And it's got two rooms. And the, you know they still have all the, the, the heat, the old heat. When the winter, it's like the whole time in the apartment because they have those old heat things in the bathroom with those little teeny tiles and they're spending who knows kind of money and they would never they don't even understand what it means to live outside Manhattan and you're looking at this building like what do you have a doorman wow like what like, you don't have any room you, you don't have, you don't even have a block to play ball on you, you, you live in a two bedroom apartment and you're spending all this kind of crazy money and so, and they want to live in an apartment because that's the environment that they enjoy. A lot of them were brought up that way and it's worth a lot of money to them. So it's very, very, very important that, and this is something that, that is very, very helpful. And this was one of Avram Avinu's biggest tests because there was no reason for him to leave. He was doing very, very well. Okay, there's one other thing I'd like to say tonight. I was, you know, you be, you mob the Sedra every morning. I found this very fascinating. I never spoke about this. And I, I, I think I'm right. Maybe I'm not. The Pasuk says like this. Avram came to Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim saw that she was very beautiful. But before that, 
They were coming close to Mitzrayim. Listen to this pasuk. I never spoke about this before. I said it over to someone yesterday. It was being mom of the Sedra. Right? But Yom El Sarai Ishto, he said to Sarai, his wife, He ne know your dati, behold I know, Ki Isha Yifas Mara'at. I know that you are very beautiful. Right? So we all know. What does this mean? Now I know. He didn't really see her full face because she wore, I forgot what they call those black things, right? Whatever that they wear. But now he saw her. Um, and the famous story that she bent down, right? And um, and he saw her reflection in the water. So my question is like this. Why do you have to say that? Why don't you just say, we're coming to Mitzrayim, they're very bad people, and they're going to try to steal you from me, and you need to tell them that you're my sister. Abram Ovinu complimented his wife and said to her, you are very beautiful. To say that for. He just said to her, listen, these guys are bad. If you tell them you're my wife, they're going to kill me. Just tell them you're my sister. Why did he tell her that she's beautiful? Hmm? Good question. Because Avram Avinu wanted to compliment her. And here he had a chance to compliment her. If he would have said, you're very beautiful before, according to the Medrash, that he never saw her, that's an empty compliment. like telling your wife, you look great. She's like, yeah, you didn't even look at me. But now he had a chance, his first time. She looked in the water, he saw her reflection. It was the first time he could give her such a compliment. So instead of just just saying, they're bad people and they're going to try to kill me, he had a chance to compliment her, he chopped it, and he said, you're very beautiful. Now that might sound very hedge, very not yeshivish or whatever, <laughs> right? But I said it over to someone, a, 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 a Rebbe, and he said, I said, why do you tell her she's beautiful? Nowhere in the Torah did, 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 it says that he loved, Yaakov loved Rachel, but he, in the Torah it says she was very pretty, but Yaakov didn't say you're very beautiful. Nobody in the Torah ever told a woman you're very beautiful. Who ever told a woman you're very beautiful in the Torah? So what is this business of Ramavino telling his wife you're very beautiful? It's not, it's not how we talk. He could have just said to her, listen, bad people, they're going to try to kill me, just tell me you're my sister. Because, according to that madrish, was the first time he really saw her. So his compliment would be real. Because if he complimented until now, he didn't see her. So what are you telling me? I'm beautiful. You don't know what I look like. He had it. Huh? What do you do with the thing you don't... It must be a terrorist sport. What, what you now know how to marry somebody to this year? That's a good question. So, according to the Medrash... He, he, I'm going to answer your question. His comment was that you're so beautiful that tra- the measure says that traveling, when you travel, you're filthy, your makeup's running, you, right? That she was traveling, and even though she was traveling like this, he said, wow, we're traveling, a person traveling, they don't look good. And the measure says that even though you were traveling, you're still so beautiful. So, 
he, when he met her the first time, he probably looked at her and she's talking a beautiful person. But now she's traveling and she's still so beautiful. And he got a chance now to compliment her and he, and he said, and I, I said, I'm leaving the kasha open if there's another answer. But to me, it was his first chance to give her a compliment and Abraham Avinu is teaching us that you're never above giving a compliment to your wife. What? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because Rashi says he never saw her before. So, so according to that, if you complimented her, I say, you, what, what do you compliment? You, didn't know what, you don't even know what I look like. Why? Because if you never saw her, So, I don't know. He glanced at her, he whatever. Right. And? And he said, he brought up what is the right from the whole thing from the Torah club, like, you know, that why Hashem had to separate everybody into a different place. Everybody was in one place. You know, so why did Hashem have to separate everybody? Oh, I'm sorry, Rashi says it. It's normal because of the tircha going on the way. Adam is baza. The person doesn't look good anymore. And she remained beautiful. Now, Rashi says, not like what I said, he says, Now came the time to worry about her beauty. I knew that you were beautiful. I always knew that you were beautiful. That answers your question, Rashi. I always knew that you were beautiful. We're going bad bad people, and they're not used to this kind of beauty, and therefore we're going to be in trouble. So he, Rashi is saying, He's telling her, I don't understand why you have to say it though. I tell you what, the Rahim last week said, my simple friend who brought that as a thing on the side, basically said, why does Shem have to separate everybody with their clothes? Right, the languages. Let's see if he says something. But also, when he separated, they all went into. They, he talks about that they all went into a different environment. Right. They went all over the world. They traveled all over the world. For for six um, for six months, you ready for this? Abraham Avinu Hishkir Panel Shal Sarah Bekushis. The Tiferes Yonason says, Rabbi Yonason Ibshis, there was a minig by the Umois that when they went to war, they took their wives with them because they were worried that other people would steal them while they were at war. So they used to paint their faces black. So that the, the men would look at them, they would look ugly. 
When they came home, they washed their faces. So he says, why didn't he do this to, to make her face black so she would look like a Benoish Kushim? He says that Sarah was so beautiful and she had Rucha Kodesh and she had Chochmas Adon that even when you painted her black, her beauty would come through it. Huh? It's trying through. She was. She, there were four women. There were four women that were considered the most beautiful women ever. You know who they were? Sarah, Sarah, Rochav, Abigail, and Esther. It says, "Yeah, that was a whole. That was a. That was a satan. That was a whole different." But we're talking about. He says here. He says here that Mesechta Bava Basra. It says, "Hakol b'fnei Sarah k'kayf b'fnei Adam." People, com- women compared to Sarah was like comparing a, a monkey to a human. That the, 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 all the other women were like monkeys compared to her. And Sarah was more beautiful, but but the Gemara Megillah says, Sarah, Rochav, Avigail, and Esther. That's what he says. Anyway, the bottom line is, she was a big tzaddikista, and according to Rashi, it was just telling her that you're very beautiful, and therefore we're in trouble. But um, there's nothing wrong with compliment. I just thought it was a shot, maybe. It was the first time you saw her, so he complimented her. So go home and compliment your wives. Next week, next week. So the girls asked me after I spoke in seminary on this subject about environment. So a girl said to me, Rabbi Wallace, you're 100% right. And I know that she went through some stuff, whatever. She said, but you need to give a share on once you get pushed out of your environment, how do you recreate that environment? Can you recreate the environment that you got pushed out of? Because that environment is no longer the same. How do you recreate the environment? Now, I'm, I'm out of the environment. I got pushed out. I said, we're going to look on how Avram Avinu recreated his environment after he left Haran, and maybe that'll give us an insight. So maybe next week, um, we'll talk about how does one recreate his environment? How does he change his graph to go back up? How do you recreate an environment? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.